that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you'd enable me to just present this truth as you have given. Uh, Lord, we ask you to be with our families that are sick and unable to be with us, that you might uh, bless them and that uh, they might get well before this Christmas season, uh, the Christmas day. Lord, I pray for those who uh, in our area might not have good warm homes as this big cold front is coming in. Lord, we pray that you would just protect them somehow. We thank you, Lord, for the warming centers and the agencies that help. We just pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And uh, Father, again, we love you. I pray as we study your word that you would teach us from your word. We desperately need to see you in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. I want to talk to you this evening about the Lord Jesus Christ and this beautiful, unique union of Him being fully man and being fully God. This is a familiar passage of Scripture that you're with, and this is kind of like a little bit of theology behind Christmas. So uh, if you'll bear with me, I think the handout of all the Scriptures I have, the handout will help you quite a bit. And uh, you can keep it because it's a fascinating study. There are two phrases in this passage of Scripture uh, that we're going to focus on that are very important that set the stage for this teaching. So let's read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born." Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Most often this is read at Christmas time and appropriately so because these two phrases, I want to point out two phrases that we're going to talk about in this text that frame this teaching that are very important for us to understand as believers. The first is, for unto us a child is born And the second phrase is, unto us a son is given. Now to understand where we're going with this, we have to first understand these two phrases. They're very specific phrases that have very specific meanings that are very, again, 
apropos for our time. First phrase, for unto us a child is born. This phrase declares Jesus' humanity. You know, some people have actually doubted that Jesus was really a man, but he was. And there are many proofs in the text to show his humanity. You have before you a list, and these are the reasons. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's quite extensive to prove that he was fully man. First of all, he had a human body. That's the greatest argument for his humanity. He had a human body. God in the flesh. The Bible teaches us that he was born of a woman, Galatians 4.4. 4. He was born of a woman. He had a body. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he was subject to growth. You remember when he was 12 years old and he was in a temple and he was uh, talking with the uh, rabbis and, and all of the Pharisees there and they were marveled at what he knew as a 12-year-old? He grew into a man. He was seen and handled by men, 1 John 1, 1. These references, you can go home and you can look them up and you can read them. All of these testify to his humanity. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 teaches us that he was sinless. He was tempted in all points like we were. Everything that you and I would ever be tempted, he was tempted with, but yet he was without sin. So all of these prove that he had a human body, and this proves that he was, in fact, human. Secondly, he had a human soul and spirit. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Uh, Luke 23, 46. Remember when he was on the cross? Thee, I commend my soul, my spirit. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He himself declared that he had a human soul and a spirit. Number three, he was subject to the limitations of humanity. In Matthew chapter 4, he went into the wilderness. He had been tempted for many days. The Bible says that he was, for 40 days, he was there. And he was hungry. If he was not a human, he would not be hungry. He was hungry. John chapter 19, verse 28, he was thirsty. He was thirsty. Remember on the cross when he cried out, he was thirsty. And what did they do? They gave him what? Vinegar. He grew tired. You remember when the woman at the well, the conversation with him, he was wearied from the journey. He sat down at the well. They went on into town to get some food or whatnot. He was wearied. He was tired. Why? Because he was subject to the limitations of humanity because he was a human. He was fully human, and we'll talk about just in a moment, he was fully God. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept. Why? He was human. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 teaches us that he was tested. He was tempted. The devil tempted him three times. In Matthew chapter 4 we see that. He was tempted. And then ultimately the greatest proof of his humanity is that he was able to die. He was able to die. So Jesus was human, yet at the same time, he was God. That brings us to the next phrase that we need to understand in this passage. These phrases are very specific. You might find this boring, but this is crucial to understanding the importance of who Jesus is and this celebration that we celebrate, his coming into this earth to be a man. The second phrase is unto us a son is born, is given. A son is given. This divine gift declares his deity. 
that Jesus, in fact, is God. Now let's look at his proof of deity. First of all, it was proved by his names. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, he is referred to as God. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 26, verses 61 through 64, refer to him as the Son of God. Matthew chapter 22, verses 43 and 45, he is referred to as Lord. Revelation 19, 16 refers to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. These two phrases encapsulate all that Christ is. He was fully man, but yet he is fully God. There's never been this unique union in anyone else. It's exclusive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was it proved by his names, <coughs> excuse me, it was proved by his characteristics. His omnipotence. He is all power. You know, I love this. Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you realize I can let you go? And Pilate says, if you, or Jesus says to Pilate, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. I, he said, this is not my kingdom. If this were my kingdom, I would call thousands and they would take over. He said, but I, no man takes my life away from me. I voluntarily lay it down. He was all powerful. He was omniscient. He was all-knowing. I love this. Jesus is standing there, and these people were arguing in their minds. They're thinking things, and Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he questions them on what they're thinking, the Pharisees. And they are marveled by it. But let me ask you a question. If he was not all-knowing, how would he know what they are thinking? He knew it. How about this one? His omnipresence. That means he's ever-present everywhere. Jesus claimed, when there are two or three gathered in my name, what did he say? I'm there in the midst. How can he do that? What if there's two or three over here, two or three over there? Jesus himself was claiming to be omnipresent. Matthew 18, 20. You know, in John 14, 6... In John 14, 1, in John chapter 14, many places, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 1, 4, he says, I'm the life. He is all those things. These are his characteristics. Acts says, there is, <laughs> there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, He is immutable, which means that He changes not. He's not like we are. Does anyone ever feel like you're wishy-washy? One day you feel this way, the next day you don't feel this way. One day you think this way, one day you don't think that way. Jesus is not that way. He doesn't change like we change. Not only is it proved by His name, proved by His characteristics, but it's proved by His works. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, we see that He creates. We read that uh, He, in Hebrews chapter 1, He is, was involved in the creation of the whole world. In Colossians 1.17, we understand that He sustains the world. If He's not God, how could He sustain the world? He literally holds everything in place. 
the, the only explanation for you and I being able to walk upright and not being all discombobulated, falling all over the place, is because he holds the world intact. You learn in science class that the earth revolves around the sun, but it sits on two axes and it sits at just the right degree and it is constantly spinning and it's spinning so fast we're standing still. All he has to do is say stop and every one of us will go. (laughs) He is sustainer. He forgives sin. This really blew the Pharisees' mind, they understood that when he said, your sins be forgiven, you, and he said, wait a minute, you, you, only God can forgive. He was claiming to be God, and they understood it. They knew it. And he said, which is it easier to say, your sins be forgiven or to be healed? Take up your bed and walk. You know, I'm telling you, they understood what Jesus was claiming to be, and his works proved that he was God. He raises the dead. What Martha, Martha and Mary say? Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. And he stands before the tomb of Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Many scholars say that he had to say Lazarus because if he didn't say Lazarus, everyone in that burial ground would have came out. Because he had the power to raise the dead. He judges. John 5, 27, all judges given to the Son. He sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away. If I don't go away, then I cannot send another comforter. Parakletos in the Greek, which means another of the same kind. He will not only be with you, but he will be in you. Proved by his works. Number four, proved by the worship that was given to him. Hebrews 1.6, the angels worship him. Matthew 14.33, men worship him. Philippians 2.10 says that all, everyone, will bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in this first two sentences of this passage, the prophet Isaiah declares and affirms that Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh. Now the remainder of this text gives us four Double word titles that further testify who he is. And I'll spend the rest of our time looking at these titles. You've got the, the, the crux of this. A child is born. That's the humanity. For unto us a son is given. A son is given refers to his deity. These two distinct dwellings in one person, never in anyone else, only exclusively in Jesus Christ. So let's look at these terms, these double-coupled terms. The first one in verse 6 is wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, the comfort of his counsel. Wonderful is a noun which speaks of his person and his work. It means regularly supernatural or miraculous. Counselor is often used in parallel with the king. So the emphasis is kingly wisdom, and here it implies that of a godlike wisdom. Listen to this. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to us is his miraculous wisdom, the comfort of his counsel. Aren't you glad God did not leave salvation and life up to us? 
Could you imagine how miserable this world would be if we only had the comfort of ourselves and what we could comfort people with? Of, of the multitude of funerals I've stood and preached, I don't know how people get through losing a loved one if they don't have Jesus Christ and the miraculous comfort and wisdom of His counsel. You remember, and I've mentioned it before, but remember the poem, Footprints in the Sand? You know, everybody made a big deal out of that. You know, why was there some places there's two sets of footprints, but there's only one set right here? Why is there only one set of footprints? And, and he said, that's when you went through the darkest times of your life, and that's when I carried you. You're only seeing my footprints and however that went. And that's a... That's a, 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 a way to try to describe it to us, but let me, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Through His divine wisdom, He made a way of salvation so that no one would have to miss it. That is the wisdom and counsel of God, that He would die in our place, and the only thing we could do is believe in Him. Because in His wisdom, He knows that we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to save ourselves. He knows life, and He gives us what we need, need to live the right way. He truly is the wonderful counselor. This is why we encourage you to read the Scriptures, to spend time in prayer. Do you have His wonderful counsel in your daily life? It's not something he does, it's who he is. The prophecy was given to Isaiah to identify him as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the wonderful counselor. The second title is Mighty God, the presence of his power. L. E-L is always and only used of God, never used of man. This is an emphatic declaration of the deity of God. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The second part of the phrase is gibor, which means hero. It can be translated a heroic God or a God of a hero. Dan Schaefer says in his book, a hero who is chief quality, whose chief quality is that he is God. Did you get that? Superman has kryptonite, right? Our God has no equal. No one that can limit His power. He is the one who stood when all the disciples said, Care us not that we perish, Lord. And He stands up out of His sleep and He rebukes the winds and the waves and they stop. That's power. That is power. No one, they can't even predict it with all the models. they got a European model, a German model, a, a whatever. I'm like... Why does Ohio care about German and European, right? Why are they projecting our snowfall over here? they got their own stuff to worry about. They can't even predict the weather, but he controls the weather. 
For He not only has the power, He's not just our God, He's our hero. He not only has the power, but He also has the desire to rescue us. That is the most fascinating thing in all of this. That the God of all glory, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created me, loves me and wants to rescue me. He is mighty God. These kids look up to their favorite superhero. When I was a kid, Incredible Hulk was my hero. It's not this weird Hulk that we had today. I mean, I'm talking like Lou Frigno Hulk. You with me? I'm talking about the original Hulk. I had the pants. I had it all, man. I just didn't have the muscle. Amen? I was gifted with table muscle. Hallelujah. But just as those kids have their favorite superhero, and they look up to that favorite superhero... We need to look up to our mighty God, Jesus. Jesus Christ is mighty God. He is mighty God. He is all-powerful. His power is available to us. Understand His power is not so that we can draw attention to ourselves, but rather so that we can walk, work, and witness for His glory. If you know Jesus Christ as the mighty God, His power is available to you to do what He's called you to do. The third double word title is everlasting Father. This literally means essential for eternal life. Dan Schaefer writes in his book, In Search for the Real Spirit of Christmas, In this phrase, Isaiah is not confusing Jesus, the Son of God, with the Father. Instead, Isaiah is describing the nature of the Messiah's relationship with his people and his relationship with time. The child to be born is eternal and he is fatherly in his dealings with his people. When Jesus became a man, he did not come into existence. He has always been. Hence, in the creative account in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those three were together. They've always been together. One scholar says it this way, He is the Father of eternity or Lord of eternity as well as the author of eternal life. Jesus said no one can have eternal life. No one can come to the Father but by me, but through me. There's an exclusive. There's only but one way. There's not multiple ways to to life eternal. There's but one way. Jesus. It's embodied in this name that teaches us that He is essential for eternal life. I mean... If you're up late at night, you can see how some guy has found the fountain of youth over in some country out of this super melon that grows over there. And if you buy this serum and put it on your face, you will look eternal. You don't look eternal. You look like you got cantaloupe on your face. 
But people buy into that. Why? Because they want to keep their beauty. They want to keep their youth all along. They want eternal. But you can't have eternal without Jesus. How could one who is not eternal offer eternal life? There's only one life that Jesus gives, and that is eternal life. Jesus is essential for eternal life. Without Him, there could be no eternal life. Have you ever thought about how intricate the plan of salvation is? Yet it's so simple, but it is so intricate. And it is so simple that anyone can believe. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology. You don't have to have uh, seminary training. But you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can have eternal life. It's an intricate plan. You change one fact and there would be no salvation. No birth, no death. No birth, no Jesus. There's no birth, there's no death. We celebrate Christmas because ultimately leads up to His death. And it proves to us that He is the only way to eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do we dwell on eternal life? Do we think about eternal life? We want to make our life here on this earth better. I understand that. I get that. But do we ever sit and think about eternity? If you would go back and listen, if you ever get the chance, every once in a while, I'll come across the recording of an old, and they're mostly audio recordings, obviously. But back in the, the 50s and those preachers, when they preached, they spent an awful long time talking about eternity, more than they did about physical things that we talk about today in church. Jesus Christ is essential for eternal life. fact is, He's the only way to eternal life. He's the only way. This is why Christmas is a big deal. And guys, let me just tell you this. We are so American. I'm watching people arguing over back and forth uh, on, on Facebook over whether or not having church on this Sunday or that Sunday. And, and you miss the whole point. This is the American modernized church. Do you realize the early church met in the house every day? from house to house and in the temple, every day. It wasn't this church where we came and they had a choir and they had all this modern stuff that we do. No, they intensely were in the Word of God. They were intensely praying. They were breaking bread. And they were observing the Lord's Supper. That's what they did in the early church. Now, we put all this other stuff on there to try to get people to come to church, and we American modernized it. And we're arguing over the American modernization of church, and we missed the real point of Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? It says that God does not dwell in temples or buildings made with hands. There's nothing spectacular about this place. It's just where we come to meet God. You are the temple. You are the temple. And wherever you are, whenever you can, you can do this. You can worship Jesus Christ. You can celebrate His birth. Because He's eternal. And He's the only way to eternal life. 
Lastly, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. He's the pathway to peace. That's what this means. We hear a lot of days about peace. There's all these peace accords. When I was growing up, there was a preacher that said this, and it's not new to me. I heard him say it, and it was funny. He said, oh, yeah, those people want peace. They want a piece of this and a piece of that until they have the whole thing. That's not the peace that Jesus gives. It amazes me. They talk about peace, and they lie for it. They talk about peace, and they march for it. They talk about peace, and they protest for it. They talk about peace and they actually kill people for it, which to me is an oxymoron. That defeats the whole point of peace. We want peace, and if you don't give us peace on our terms, we're going to kill you. Think about it. It's ridiculous, right? But they never obtain it. You know why they never obtain peace? Because peace is only found in one person. That person is in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found in a political party. It's not found in a country leader. It's not found in different countries. It is only found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives unto you. So he distinguishes his peace from the peace that the world gives. What is this matter of peace? Well, first of all, there's peace with God. You can never have peace in your heart until you have peace with God. That means you have been reconciled unto God. You and I need to be reconciled unto God. He does not need to be reconciled unto us. He is the true standard. We are the ones who have veered away from Him. All have gone astray. We are the ones that need to be reconciled unto Him. We need to be brought back into peace with God because our sin has separated us from God. So you'll never have peace in your life without God. May I ask you a question? Have you ever noticed that you can't even watch any kind of television program, you can't watch anything at all unless they have a divisive argument of some sort in it? I'm beginning to believe these guys in here saying that gun smoke's about all it's fit to watch anymore. I do like NCIS, I have to say. But... Um, But you know, there's always constant drama. There's always constant arguing and bickering. Does anybody here like drama? The older I get, when I see drama coming, I want to run. I want to run like a gazelle. Not that I can, but I want to get as far away from drama as I can get. I, don't want, I want peace. Is anybody with me? I want peace. And I know that the Bible tells us the only way to have peace with God is by the pathway of peace, which is Jesus Christ. Now, peace is more than the absence of war. It's more than the absence of conflict or stress or turmoil. But wouldn't it be great to be free of all that? To achieve true peace, we have to remove the ultimate cause of all these things, which is sin. Do you know the most destructive thing to personal peace is sin? Real, lasting peace is not something we achieve. It's something we receive through the Son. It's part of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you can lay your head on the pillow tonight and know that if you go to sleep and you don't wake up up here, you'll wake up up there with Him. You can have peace in your heart. 
Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. You see, this is why Christmas is important. Everything is about Jesus. Everything begins with Him. Everything ends with Him. Everything is sustained by Him. Your peace, your ability to cope in life is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus also is the pathway to peace with each other. We cannot have peace with each other apart from peace with God. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Let me tell you something. You and I can't have peace with God if we don't have peace with each other. But we don't want to talk about that, right? Well, so-and-so did this to me, and so-and-so did that to me. He should Listen, this Christmas, get over it. You're not going to have peace with God. You're wrestling with God. You're fighting with God. You're not going to have peace with God until you have peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is extremely important. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with each other? Why not receive peace? It's the peace, listen to this. The Bible says, you can quote it with me, that passes All understanding. We don't know how it all works, but we know that we only have peace through Him. I'm speaking and I'm saying this aware that it's not just you listening here. Many of you, most of you in here I know, know your testimony, know you saved, you believed in Jesus. But there's also people watching on the internet. And I would say this. Without Christ you have no comfort. Without Christ you have no power. Without Christ you have no eternal life. And without Christ you have no peace. God gave the message to Isaiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And saying he's going to come. He's going to be fully God. He's going to be fully man. In one person, he's going to come and he is going to show us that without him, we can have no comfort, no power, no eternal life, and no peace. He is the exclusive way to having these. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus didn't ask us to celebrate Christmas. He asked us to remember his death day, but he never asked us to celebrate and remember Christmas. But we do so because we understand that Jesus is everything. He is everything. Listen to me. When these buildings are gone, when everything you own is gone, when all hope is lost, Jesus is there. He's there. It's better than any socks and underwear you can get. To those of us who have believed, have the cares of this world stripped us from the comfort of His counsel? Have the cares of this world stripped us from the presence of His power in our life? Have they stripped us from His peace? If so, maybe sometime tonight, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, 
in a hurry, maybe we could confess and repent of our sins and get back and say, listen, this is all about Jesus Christ. This is God's gift to us. And it's wonderful. In His infinite wisdom, He gives this gift to us. And when we see this laid out before us, opened up, we realize that He is all we need. Cars break down, wear out, cause us trouble, can't get parts. Amen, Monica? And houses rust and fall in and decay. All of our possessions, just stuff. But no one can ever take away from you the comfort of his counsel. No one can ever take away from you the presence of his power. No one can take, ever take away from you the peace that passes all understanding. No one can ever take away from you eternal life. All of these only come through the one who we celebrate at Christmas time. You can't control what the world thinks about Christmas, but you can control what your heart believes about Christmas. You can control how you worship and how you conduct yourself at Christmas. If you don't like the way the world's going, shut the world out. Zone in on the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Christmas gift he is. And that's really what Christmas is all about. And Jesus, the most wonderful thing about all of this is that Jesus loves you with a supreme love. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less than he loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he loves you. So why don't you make this Christmas about him? Father, we love you.